Good morning, church family. Good morning. How are we doing? How's your weekend so far? How's the weekend going so far? Some of you prefer the beavers. Some of you know better and say go ducks. But all are happy this morning. So I know it's a good weekend, at least in that way. And I hope you do are having a good weekend. And I hope Saturdays are fun and restful and with wins by your favorite teams. But Saturdays pale in comparison to the opportunity we have to gather together as a church family on Sunday and look to God and study his word together, right? Uh, so hopefully your Bibles are still open. We're in John chapter 17. We're starting at verse 11. We're in, a, we're in part two of a three-part series through John chapter 17, which is sometimes referred to as the high priestly prayer. So um, for now, I'm just going to jump right in. John 17, verse 11. Jesus praying, And I am no longer in the world, but they, referring to those that are in Christ, those that are his followers, his disciples, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Jesus says to the Father. I am coming to you, Father God in heaven. This prayer, as we talked about last Sunday, is prayed by Jesus on his last night on his earthly journey, the the Thursday evening before a Friday crucifixion, before going to the cross and being uh, brutally executed and dying for us on the cross. This prayer is prayed. It's the longest recorded prayer of Jesus. It's his last public prayer. And why does he say, I'm no longer in the world? Well, he's about to be killed and, and be buried and be in a tomb for three days, and yet we know that on the third day, on Sunday, he is raised again to new life. And a short time after that, he, is ascend, he ascends into heaven where he sits at the right hand of God the Father. So Jesus is saying, I am no longer in the world, but they, my followers, my disciples, are in the world, and I am coming to you, Father. Um, so, so part one, last Sunday, Part one of this prayer, the previous verses, Jesus prays that he will be glorified. We talked last Sunday about that him being glorified um, in, in, through the cross, through his life, death, and resurrection. We talked last Sunday that he will be glorified at the right hand of the Father, which we know to be true as he ascends into heaven. And we talked last Sunday about the fact that Jesus prayed that he would be glorified in and through us, the church, followers of Jesus. And so part two of this prayer that we're looking at today, he's praying for his disciples, his followers, that, that he is ascending into heaven and leaving behind, but they, have, they are in the world. They have a purpose in the world. Let's continue, verse 11, the second part of verse 11. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Sometimes we might wonder, it might uh, catch us a little funny when, when we say, he's, Jesus says, protect them in your name. And he's talking about your, your name, or we sometimes pray in the name of Jesus. And I think it's good to just remind ourselves that in your name or in the name of Jesus isn't just like a formula, it's not some magic words that'll get our prayer answered. It was a way that the, that the writers of the Bible were, were referring to God's whole person, all that he is, who, what he is about, his attributes, his character, what he does. And so Jesus, as he's leaving, prays that God the Father will defend 
protect, preserve his followers by God's presence and power and by all that is true about him. And, and, and there's an encouragement here, I think, for the disciples left behind at that time and for us followers of Jesus that the more we as followers of Jesus understand about God's greatness, the more we seek to know him and his character and his attributes, what he's all about, the more we do that, the more we as followers of Jesus are going to experience oneness, unity. When the focus is on knowing God, you and I are drawn closer together, becoming more unified. Um, I read this week in one of the commentaries I was studying, I read this week an example that I thought I'd just pass along briefly. And the example was about pianos, um, or, or you, know, you could think about other instruments, being tuned to the same tuning fork. Now, how many of us know what a tuning fork is? Awesome. I talked to some musicians this morning. Perhaps they're not used as often anymore, right? I'm not talking about your, your utensil fork that you eat with. There's a metal, metal instrument, two prongs. You used to use it to tune instruments. And now we tend to have electronic options. You can even pull out an app on your phone and tune your instrument, right? But the idea was is that if you, if you had a lot of pianos and every piano was tuned to the same tuning fork, or every piano was tuned to that same electronic tuning device, then, then what becomes true about the pianos in relationship to each other? They were all individually tuned to, to one standard, to the same tuning fork, to the same tuning device. And in the process of them being tuned to the same thing, they were what? In tune with one another. And so, you know, let's, ha let's use that as a picture for ourselves as followers of Jesus, for us as a church family. Instead of looking away from God for our influence, for our direction, instead of looking away from God for guidance, instead of being distracted or listening to or being influenced by other various voices and sources of information, what are some of those? Give me, give me some. What are some sources, voices that, that are influential in our lives? Can be, can be a good thing. What are some of these other voices and influences? The news, cable news, talking heads, movies, sure, different kind of entertainment choices, celebrities. Social media has information coming at us at incredible speeds that can influence us, good or bad, that, that voices that we can listen to, right? Friends, family, perhaps your, polit your favorite politician of choice. Uh, even, even those who are without Christ have influence or, or have the potential to um, influence us or be a voice. And so, so if we picture these pianos tuned to the same standard, not saying that we can't have other voices or other influences in our lives, but we as followers of Jesus, can we, are we tuning ourselves to the same, and by the way, best and only true standard? And as we tune our lives together, as we individually, church family, tune our lives to the greatness of God and his son Jesus and what Jesus has done for us on the cross, as we tune our lives to that, as that becomes increasingly what we are all about, guess what's going to be true for us? We're going to be drawn together. 
we're going to be increasingly unified as that becomes the focus and priority. And so, um, you know, I, I think I've tried to communicate this before, but it gives me just another opportunity to say, I, in, in the last year and a half of adventures that we have gone through together, I, I want you to know how thankful I am and how our leaders are so thankful for you, church family. Uh, for the cooperation, the spirit of grace that we have, that we have found together as a church family in, in the face of different opinions in the face of, of COVID response, COVID protocols, what should we do, what should we not do, despite the fact that within our church family, we may have the spectrum between thinking that we're doing too much to comply to protocols and some that feel that we're not doing enough to keep others safe. While we might have that spectrum of, of individual thought and preference in our church family, I'm so thankful because I feel that Faith Church has chosen unity. That, that, that we have chosen to be together as a family and, and, and willing then to set aside our personal preferences and stuff. And so, um, particularly on Sundays, we're so thankful for our, our, our willingness to do what we need to do to keep meeting and include as many people as we can. And uh, it's just an encouragement to us that Perhaps we're going to need to consider this, what God's doing in our lives, um, in other settings in our lives, in, in other groups that we meet with, with family, with friends, with coworkers, in homes and life groups. You know, don't miss this. No one's asking for uniformity. When, we, when, we, when we're looking for unity within a church family, we're not asking for uniformity, meaning that everybody's going to be a robot that talks and walks the same and thinks the same and has the same opinion and thinks the same result is necessary or the same response is necessary. You see what I'm saying? We're not asking for uniformity. We're not asking for you to be conformed to all think the same, do the same, come to the same conclusions. But, but I do think that as we focus on Christ, we're going to find increased oneness with one another. And so as we focus on him and, and desiring to be a church family and continuing to minister and continuing to ask God, how do our ministries, how does our love for one another, how does our community continue in the midst of these challenges? So that's an opportunity we have. So tying it back into the passage then, I just want to say that the, that the more we seek Jesus, each of you, each follower of Jesus, the more we seek Jesus, the more we tune our lives to him as the only true and best standard, the more our lives are tuned to him, the more we will find unity with one another. And then we see in verse 13, back to the text, keep your finger in the Bible, John 17, verse 13, Jesus' prayer continues, but now I am coming to you, Father, and these things I speak in the world that they may have joy fulfilled in themselves. The result of oneness, the result of, of us being united together under Christ as the true, true source and best standard, the result of that is joy. Joy, joy is recognition and prioritization of things above, of the things of God. Our joy, as we've talked about before perhaps, our joy doesn't come based on our circumstances. Our joy is not dependent on our circumstances or the things, the ups and downs of life and the things that we go through. Um, our joy is based on, on focusing on things above and knowing what God has for us. So Jesus prayed here for 
his disciples' safety and that our joy would be found in him even in the midst of hardship, even in the midst of life's crazy, adventurous circumstances. So uh, Jesus actually is going to continue to pray about unity in the passage we're looking at next Sunday. So we're going to even talk a little bit more about this next Sunday, but uh, we'll continue through the passage now. Um, I, wanted to, I wanted to just insert a comment here that, that, that came to my mind that I was reflecting on in the past few days. I feel like life in recent weeks in particular, but even in recent months, or go back further, I feel like life has given me some really interesting opportunities to reflect on how I am doing with the Lord and, 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 and t- talking to the Lord about some difficult things. But also, um, life has given me the opportunity to have some really substantial, significant conversations about life and death and life with God um, with people around me. And, and, I, and I just, it's, it's difficult at times, these conversations, and, but yet so meaningful and so rich. Um, and in some of these conversations, and including in my own heart, I have found myself saying, come Lord Jesus, more often and more sincerely than I ever had in my Christian life. Come Lord Jesus. The words that are in Revelation referring to how Christians would hope, call for and hope for the return of Christ. We know that Jesus will come, that he is returning, and he will set all things right. We don't know when. Only God knows, but we say, come, Lord Jesus. And myself and, and a couple people around me, I've, I've heard express that in, in heart, almost heartbreaking sincerity of, of come, Lord Jesus. I've also been in conversations and, 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 and on this topic of our life and death and earth and, and, and our spirituality where the questions are asked, you know, why, why am I still here? Why, why can't I go be, God, why haven't you taken me home? And, and this is not, these conversations come, Lord Jesus, and these conversations about, man, what are the number of my days, and why am I still here? These are not, these are not um, a death wish, not, not mending, meaning to end life prematurely. These, these conversations are coming out of a sincere longing to return to the presence of Jesus and to see Jesus return and set all things right. And so when do we tend to do these kind of conversations in our lives? When do we say things like, come Lord Jesus? When do we, we share with one another that we, we wish it was our time to go be with Jesus? We, those conversations tend to happen in the face of difficulty, right? Recognizing hardship the physical suffering, the trials of life, the, the things that, that cause us pain are often what bring us these questions. And so I say that because I want to now turn back to our passage and see what God's word, see what Jesus' prayer has for us as we wrestle with the number of our earthly days, the timing of our lives, and the timing of Jesus' return. What, what's going on in the middle? What's going on until? Verse 14. Jesus continues his prayer. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. 
And then in verse 16, he says again, they, my followers, are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. You know, it's these verses that you, we get this expression you may have heard in Christian circles, that we are in the world, but not of it, right? It's this expression, we are in the world, but not of it. And, and there's, there's a lot of things that are good for us to wrestle with there or recognize. This earth, our earthly journey, is not our true home. Jesus came to earth. This was not his true home. Jesus, we kind of know, was passing through. His eternal home was at the right hand of the Father. But we lose sight of that sometimes, I think, too, fellow followers of Jesus. This earthly journey is not our only home, our, our, our true home. It seems substantial to us. It seems very lengthy to us. And so sometimes we think this is it. But we, too, if you are in Christ, your true home is with the Father, and we are passing through this life. And, and, and so in the world, the world demands conformity. The world's influences and voices want us to think the same and do the same and do our own thing and go against God and do what comes natural and do what feels good. The world kind of demands conformity. But in Christ, as we follow Christ and are transformed by Jesus, we stand out. Or should. This was not Jesus' true home. He was just passing through. So the words of his prayer are, I'm not of this world, and neither are my people. This is not their true home. There are ways that, I mean, Jesus was certainly rejected in his time on earth, and there are ways in which that we too will experience rejection because of following Christ. So the reality of being in the world, not of the world, is that our unity, you and I, followers of Jesus, united together, united under Christ, our unity in Jesus distinguishes us from the world, separates us, calls us out from the world. Uh, in Christ, we are to be different in the world, but not of the world. So then, so then if, that's, if that's what we're thinking about, and, if that's how the, and we've talked about the world having pain and difficulty and trial and suffering, and causing us to ask these big life questions. Jesus, when are you coming back? When can I come and be with you? If the world's tough, and if we know that we're rejected as Jesus was rejected, the disciples are about to see Jesus leave them. They've had him physically in their presence, and they're about to watch him be raised into heaven and leave them behind. So then what, could we, what kind of attitude could we have toward the world? Let's get out of here. Lord, take me with you. Right? The disciples, he ascends into heaven. The disciples are going like this. Remember? They're staring into heaven, watching him go. I can't imagine how they felt. So we could easily have the approach, man, let's get out of here. This is not worth it. Verse 15, what does Jesus pray? Jesus prays to the Father. I do not ask that you take them out of the world. Wait, what? Jesus, you just got done saying, we're, not, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. This is not our true home. 
We're just passing through. But look where his prayer continues. Jesus prays, I do not ask, Father, that you would take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. I, church family, reflect on this for a minute. Could he take us out of here and make things a whole lot easier? Yeah. Could he return right now and set all things right? Absolutely. Until he does, what's he up to? What does he have for us? Jesus doesn't take us out. He doesn't spare us. He doesn't let us off the hook, so to speak. He came into the world and he fulfilled the mission that God had gave him. And we as his followers are to complete the mission that he gave us and to use the time that he's given us and to, yes, look expectantly, joyously forward to the return of Christ and in the meantime, to live for him in all that we do. So what's our approach to the world then? As a follower of Jesus, how do we look at the world, our culture, non-believing people, the difficulties that we ex experience? How do we approach the world and how do we consider people around us? Well, one thing is, is we're not to have an attitude of withdrawal. I think, me included, I think Christians have become too good at separating ourselves from the world, going a little too far in being distinguished from the world. Yes, we are to be different. Yes, we are to stand out. But what are we called to do in relationship to the world? It's, it's not withdrawal. I want to read for just a minute from one of the commentaries I studied this week. This is um, a pastor author named Kent Hughes. And I just don't think I would have said it any better. So if you, if you, I don't like to read a ton, but if you'll bear with me and, and hear, just a track with this example. We often find our lives arranged so that we are around non-believers as little as possible. We attend Bible studies that are 100% Christian, Sunday school classes that are 100% Christian, and church worship gatherings that we hope are 100% Christian. We read only or at least primarily Christian books. We send our kids to Christian schools or homeschool them. We listen only or mostly to Christian radio programs. None of these things are bad, but it is easy to use them so much that we isolate ourselves in a Christian subculture. We can even develop a, a special crypto-Christian language with Christian jokes, biblical nicknames, and passwords that make outsiders feel like outsiders. This can happen even in unlikely environments, even on a secular college campus. And so then he's going to quote uh, an author who served with InterVarsity Fellowship, and she wrote a book called Out of the Salt Shaker. And here's what she writes. This is Rebecca Manley Pippert. We must not become, as John Stott puts it, a rabbit hole Christian. The kind who pops his head out of a hole, leaves his Christian roommate in the morning, and scurries to class only to frantically search for a Christian to sit by, which is an odd way to approach the mission field, she says. The, um, thus, he proceeds from class to class, and when dinner comes, he sits with the Christians in his dorm at one huge table and thinks, hey, what a witness we are sitting here together. From there, he goes to his all-Christian Bible study, and he might even catch a prayer meeting where the Christians pray for the non-believers on his floor. But what luck that he was able to live on the only floor in the dorm with 17 Christians. 
Then at night, he scurries back to his Christian roommate, safe. He made it through the day, and his only contacts with the world were those mad, brave dashes from Christian to Christian. What an insidious reversal of the biblical command to be salt and light in the world. Ouch. Because don't, don't envision me up here pointing a finger. This is an ouch to me too. I, I'm, a prof, I'm a professional Christian in a sense. It, it's difficult, it can be difficult for me not to have this happen to me. So I'm speaking to myself as well as us. And here's the last part. We are all susceptible to this. It is possible to go from womb to tomb in a hermetically sealed container decorated with fish stickers. <laughs> See, I told you I couldn't say it any better than him, so I'm just reading it, right? It is possible to abandon our culture to the devil. It is interesting to note that though Moses, Elijah, and Jonah all ask to be taken out of the world, Remember those? I mean, if you don't, I don't, want you, I don't expect you to know them. It'd be, it'd be an awesome little side project to go look up those Bible stories about uh, Moses, Elijah, and Jonah. They all asked to be taken out of the world, and guess what? Not one of their requests was granted. We need to ask ourselves honestly if we have functionally removed ourselves from the world. Christ prays that we have not. So, when we ask the difficult questions of life, when we, hope for, when we look forward to Jesus' return, when we're not sure about the number of our days or the purpose of our lives, um, what does God have for us? It's not withdrawal. Jesus just prayed, I'm not taking them out of the world. I'm not going to let them off the hook. I'm not going to rescue them from the mission that I have for them. What he did ask you just saw in verse 15, he did ask that the Father protect us from the evil one. We just studied Ephesians chapter 6 a few weeks ago, the reality that we as followers of Jesus are engaged in a battle in the spiritual realm, an unseen battle between the forces of good and, and, and the evil one. But Jesus doesn't take us out of the world to rescue us, to make it easier on us, but he does pray to the Father that we would be protected from the evil one. God is with us. He is helping us to overcome the temptation to be assimilated into the world, to be conformed into the lies that surround us, uh, the temptation to not be different than anybody around us, to just blend in so that life is less, uh, of, less difficult for us. God is with us. He doesn't take us out. Instead, God wants to work through us in the world. He is with us. He wants to work in us, and he wants to work through us as he has us still in the world. Verse 18. Look with me in the, in the text, John 17, verse 18. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Jesus prays to the Father, Father, as you have sent me into the world on mission, as you have sent me into the world to represent you, I am sending my followers into the world. Jesus was the sent son. He is the ultimate sent one. He is God himself, the Son of God, sent into the world. He is the rescuer, the Messiah, the, 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 the plan for life that God has for us. 
New life now and life eternal with God. Because of the cross, because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, we can have salvation, be made right with God, be forgiven of our sin, and be in Christ. Jesus was the sent son, and now he prays as the sent son, and we discover that we are his sent people. That as God sent Jesus into the world to live sent, that Jesus' prayer for you and I, follower of Jesus, is that we would live in the world, that we would live sent, recognizing and aware of what God has given us to do, recognizing that our days have purpose and the days of our lives are numbered by him and that he has given us something to do. Faith Church exists. This is why our church family exists. Faith Church exists to help people become fully devoted followers of Jesus. Fully devoted followers of Jesus could be um, described a lot of ways. Fully devoted followers of Jesus love God with their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Followers of Jesus, fully devoted followers of Jesus love others, love their neighbor as themselves. Fully devoted followers of Jesus are sent into the world to make disciples, to help other people meet and follow Jesus. And if we're honest, I'm guessing, that last one makes us a bit nervous. Love God, I think I can do it. Learn to love others, I need some help, but I can do it. But that last one, make disciples, when we think in Christian circles about the word word evangelism, it, it can make us nervous. And evangelism... I think is scary to many, and I think the reason that evangelism, sharing the good news of Jesus with others in our lives, is, can be scary to us is I think it's because we picture evangelism as a solo activity, as an individual sport. But I think, and at Faith Church, what we're encouraging you is that one way we think that we can help each other to live sent One of the ways around here that our church is working together to help you and me as followers of Jesus live on God's mission is we want to do that together. And and one of the ways that we think that we can do that is through life groups, encouraging people within our church family. I love Pastor Ed making us think this morning about how it's possible to be in a crowd but be lonely. So make our church family a little smaller by joining a life group and having relationships where you can know and be known And now, one aspect of our life groups that we're encouraging you to consider is it's together that you can make a difference in the lives of other people. That evangelism or sharing our faith, that living sent doesn't have to be an individual sport. It can be a team sport. Doesn't that sound a little more appealing? Am I the only one that thinks, okay, if I got people with me, I can do that. Right? uh, Jesus says in John 13, 35, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, by your love for one another. Okay, listen to that again. Jesus and John has a few places in the the Gospel of John where Jesus says, here's how they know you're my followers. And one of them is this verse, John 13, 35. They will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. Who is one another referring to? Fellow Christians. Yeah, church family. Okay, we're good with that. My growth in Christ includes loving God and loving fellow followers of Jesus, brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm growing in love for you and our relationship, and we're like family, and we hang out together, and we have meals together. 
And, and then Jesus is saying, those out there that are apart from Christ, those in the world that need God in their lives, they will know you are my followers by your love for one another. An opportunity for a team sport. We have an opportunity to live out our, our love for fellow believers. Here's the catch, or here's the trick, here's the part we, we maybe haven't considered. We have an opportunity to live out our love for one another in the midst of, around, in front of, overlapping life with people that don't yet know Jesus. What if we, church family, could live out our love for one another in the midst of and surrounded by and in relationship with those who don't yet know Jesus so that Jesus' words would be true and that they would know we are his people by our love for one another. You tracking with me on that? That is so encouraging to me because I have been one of many believers, I think, who had the scary view of evangelism, that it was an individual sport, that I had to go out on my own and share my testimony and share about God, and it was very intimidating, and it didn't often go very well. And so then I feel like a failure, and so then I don't do it anymore. But we together can ask God to show us who are we in relationship with, Christians I'm in relationship with and, and loving like family, And now who as a family do we also know that don't yet know Jesus? That we could include into our life rhythms. That we could invite over. That we could go into the community and serve shoulder to shoulder, elbow to elbow with them. So that that not only would we be building relationship with those that don't yet know Jesus, but they would see see lived out our family love for one another. I think that's how we can live sent, is by having our lives overlap, increasingly overlap with those that need Jesus. So life groups, if you're in a life group already, and of course you heard Pastor Ed, we'd love to connect you with one. Um, If you're in a life group already, life groups, be asking God to speak to your group about this. Be considering Who might God be calling your group to reach out to? Maybe your group, um, maybe your life group already has some natural connections to a group of people in our community. You know, maybe there's a few parents in your life group that all have parents at a a certain school in in town. And and now maybe that life group can be a blessing to that school. Or or maybe you have some shared friendships in our community, and you think, hey, you know, we all kind of know some of those people, and, and let's overlap our lives intentionally. So life groups, be thinking about who God might be calling you to reach out to. And this is not um, drive-by, hit-and-run, one-time service projects. Okay? This is asking God, who are we connected with that we can love consistently, reach out to regularly, build ongoing relationship with? Not because I need to accomplish something, not because I need to check a box, not because I need to spew out to you the story of the Bible the first time I meet you, but so that I, because God has given me his love and, my, and that love in me legitimately and sincerely cares for you, person in my life, group of people that we're connected to, and so we're going to care and live and extend ourselves and make connections over the long haul, asking that God would work through that. Uh, for his purposes. So we have an opportunity, um, I think, and, and I think uh, this in current environment 
is, is a unique opportunity. The current environment we're living in with the challenges of COVID, with the restrictions, with not being sure if we should be hanging out together, with not being sure about bigger, I know these seem like challenges and, and maybe it'd be easier just to hunker down and do our own thing and not really keep living out our lives for Christ, but I, I, I think we should just buckle up and get used to it. I, I think... Um, yeah, I mean, I think there might be some tendency to hunker down and to complain and to stop doing what God's given us to do because we're not sure how because all this is a pain in the rear end. I love our staff team and I love our elder team, but these are not easy conversations. I know all of you are having them with your families and your coworkers and trying to figure out what do we do mass or not do mass or what do, we, what do I think of the government? Am I supposed to respect the God? These are not easy. It's a pain. But, but what I'm saying is, is I, I think this is an opportunity God's giving us, not something that should squash a mission. I, I, think th- I think we should just come to grips with the fact that things may never go back to normal. And instead ask God, what does it look like to live as a follower of Jesus in these circumstances? What does it look like for Faith Church to make an outstanding difference in the lives of people in Dallas and Oregon and to the ends of the earth? What does it look like? God, show us how to do that. And we have an opportunity. Instead of hunkering down and complaining and being frustrated that things are not the way they should be, we have an opportunity to engage, adapt, adjust, depend on God even more, keep loving him, keep loving others, and, and, and know that God is going to fulfill his mission through us. And then someday, come Lord Jesus. And here's how the prayer ends. Here's how, well, not ends. Here's how our passage, Jesus' prayer for today, for today ends. Verse 17 again. Sanctify them in the truth, Jesus prays. Sanctify them. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in the truth. Disciples, followers of Jesus are sent And so Jesus says, sanctify them, transform them, make them new, set them apart for my purposes. Set them apart. I've given them a mission. So Jesus says, so so Father, sanctify them, transform them, equip them for the mission, make them into uh, new people. Because church family, God is at work in us. He is protecting us from the evil one. We are to be distinguished. We are to be set apart. We are different than the world. And God is at work within us. We're being transformed into a new person. He's making us new from the inside out. If you're a follower of Jesus and you're submitted to his work in your life and you're listening for the Spirit, the Spirit is making you into a new person, giving you a new heart, a new mind, and new desires. And Jesus says, sanctify them by the truth. The word of God is truth. And Jesus referred to himself as the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus prays that the Father would sanctify you, followers of Jesus, that he would set you apart and transform you and equip you for the mission he's given you. Jesus prays that through the word of God and that through our following Jesus, as as we look to the word of God and as we look to Jesus, the ultimate embodiment of truth, as we form our lives around him, Jesus is praying that as we do those things, 
We will be sanctified. We will be transformed. We will be made increasingly holy and set apart to live out our days, however many they be, to look forward to Jesus' return, but not be idle in the meantime, as we focus, as we look to the truth of God's word, as we look to the truth who is Jesus Christ, we are transformed into the image of Christ and sent to live out the ways of Jesus to people who need to find life in him. Father, thank you. Father in heaven, thank you for your word that we get to study together and um, thank you for this example of prayer. I pray that we would have an opportunity to reread this prayer a few times and marvel at what our Savior, what our Rescuer prayed for us. God, would we just be delighted as we soak in this prayer and as we hear what Jesus wants for us, his followers. Father, help us to examine ourselves. Help us to ask how our lives are, are, are how we are living sent. We, we chuckled at the examples from that book about, about our Christian huddles and, and our tendency to go from one Christian to the other. But Lord, we, we chuckle nervously because there's truth there. And so God, would you help us to see how we are to live sent? Who are you calling us to? Who have you already put in our lives? Not, not necessarily strangers, not necessarily one-time hit-and-run acts of love or service, but God, who are we already connected to? Who can you help us continue to build a relationship with and to bring our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ along as we build those relationships? God, help us to see the people in our spheres of influence as you see them. Help us to open our eyes to the needs of those who are far from Christ. And Father, work in us by your power, in your name, that we would display the good news of Jesus, that the gospel would ooze out of our lives, that as you work in us, as we are so thankful recipients of your love, God, would your love overflow out of us and display the good news of Jesus? Would we be conduits of your love to those around us? And would we be proclaimers that life is found in Jesus? Father, we love you. We need you. Thank you for rescuing us. Thank you for salvation because of Jesus. Help us to, to run the race of this earthly existence with faithfulness, with endurance, because you are at work within us. Help us to live out our days to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.